This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always across the way, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back in the saddle this evening. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Um, fresh off vacation, you know, got a little tan. Um, now it's now it's really, really time to dig into the oncoming class. But I think before we do so, we have a nice guest today. Yeah, absolutely. And here at Saturday, Sunday, we are ready to turn the page fully to the all-star circuit, the college prospects, and get ready for the NFL draft. But last week and now this week, bringing on some guests from the industry to kind of recap the NFL season from a rookie perspective, some thoughts heading into the offseason, maybe some guys who are buying, selling. And today we're really privileged. First time here at Saturday to Sunday is Mr. Hayden Winks from Underdog Fantasy. Hayden, uh, thank you for joining us here at Saturday to Sunday today. Can't wait for it. Uh, like you, Jeff, uh, I'm always looking for a nice tan out here and then also grinding some prospect tape. So we're on the same page. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to be talking to you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, anybody, I'm sure most of our followers are following the work that Hayden is doing over at Underdog Fantasy, him and Josh, the, the podcast, all the videos they do. Excellent work, guys. Make sure you're checking them out for sure. So, Hayden, let's get right into it and let's kind of look at this running back class. And it was an interesting year, right? Because we had glimpses of Brees Hall being fantastic. We had some great performances by Kenneth Walker. And I, I believe it was you and, and Josh talking him up a lot before the season started that he was a really interesting best ball pick. And people were kind of, you know, you know, sleeping on him a little bit. So why don't we just start there, those guys? I know the sample size was small for Brees Hall and, and you know, it took a little while for Kenneth Walker to really find the stride. But what do you kind of make of those guys? Their ceilings maybe going forward. You know, it's a little bit a little bit difficult with the Brees Hall injury, but how are you kind of looking at those two guys? Do you have a clear preference between the two in terms of dynasty? Does the injury to Brees Hall kind of, you know, mutter the, the waters a little bit? Yeah, so I think for right now, I'm still weighing what their prospect profiles look like just in general. One year, I'm weighing that a lot, but we have to keep in mind what they were like as prospects. My model had both of them in the 90th percentile or above. I looked at both of these backs as great options. I thought we kind of galaxy-brained a little bit of the Kenneth Walker evaluation because of his receiving profile, and there were still some of those limitations uh, in the NFL as a rookie, but his rushing profile I thought was electric. That's what he kind of looked like to me in the NFL, and then we actually lucked out with Ken Walker going into a good offense, not a bad one like we thought, so... Uh, for this next year, I have both Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker as fantasy running back ones. Brees Hall, it sounds like he's ahead of schedule. And to me, there is nothing about their rookie tape that makes me even uh, less pessimistic. I was super optimistic coming into this. and There was nothing I saw from either one of those backs. I think neither of them are complete players. Like I would say Kenneth Walker is still the receiving game. He's very inexperienced with that. He's definitely going to always be a boom bust rusher, but give me those types all day. And now Brees Hall towards the end before he uh, tore his ACL. Um, I thought he was starting to feel, have a better feel for the game. I thought his vision could be hit and miss uh, both as a, um, a college player and then as a rookie, but their game breaking juice. I think both of them will be top 10 running backs for the next couple of years. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what we saw from from Hall and from Walker this year is exciting because I think we are we are starting to see some of the old guard at the running back class maybe, you know, take a step back. Guys like Alvin Kamara and other players like that. And and I think Brees Hall and Kent Walker are two guys that are clearly, you know, you know, moving up. I think an interesting discussion, I, I wasn't planning on going here, but it just kind of popped in is people were really high on Javante Williams last offseason going into it. Maybe if you have ranks, if not, not a big deal. We mm-hmm. just talk through it. But like, where do you think yourself and maybe even the industry kind of fitting Javante Williams in with those two guys now? Like, because I feel like Javante Williams was like catapulting. I was a little bit more reserved. I had him like seven, eight in my dynasty ranks before the season started, you know, but I know he was, he was higher, much higher for mm-hmm. some people. But now that injury, we still haven't seen him be like this elite, elite player, nor carry a heavy workload. How do you kind of see Javante Williams compared to those guys as we, we turn the page to the offseason? So I thought both of Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker profiled better than Javante Williams as a prospect. I was still pretty optimistic with Javante. Unfortunately, there is a big difference between Brees Hall and Javante's injury. Uh, Brees Hall, luckily, it seems like it's a clean ACL, just the ACL, and he does seem ahead of schedule. Uh, Javante Williams, I believe it was ACL, MCL, and PCL. I think it was three torn ligaments. And that's what the difference between like J.K. Dobbins ACL injury and some of these other running backs that could kind of come back. So I'm actually pretty concerned with Javante Williams. Also, now we have to price in that Russell Wilson is going to be there for at least this next year, possibly two more years. And I don't think anyone's very optimistic with that. Um, And I think that there's a chance that with Brees Hall, maybe you get like really lucky and Aaron Rodgers comes into town. But even if like it's, Derek Carr or someone like that, that would still be a massive upgrade. And that I think that offense could be pretty sweet. So I have right now, this is just for 2023 rankings, but kind of on, on par with dynasty stuff. I have Javante Williams as my running back 25. I have Brees Hall as my running back seven and Kenneth Walker as my running back five. Um, so I think there's a pretty big gap between them. I think most of it is because of the injury though. So one follow-up, I mean, you said Kenneth Walker, you're running back five over Brees Hall running back seven. I mean, we're nit nitpicking there but you know i also had a follow-up too you said we galaxy brained a little bit talking about you know his receiving profile as a prospect and you know we're big fans of saying of you know when talking about players entering the nfl it's not about what they can't do just what we haven't seen and you know it's not like walker had a particularly prolific pass catching season this last year but he had a game with you know, six catches, eight targets. It's not like Seattle was afraid to use him in that role. And do you anticipate that that work will pick up as we go? Was there anything that was concerning you about his potential usage going forward? Or is it really just, you know, Seattle was better than we thought they'd be. We think they'll be pretty stable and potentially able to take a step forward. And there's just more safety in projecting what we expect for Walker next year and potentially moving forward. So he caught basically all the passes that were thrown his way. It wasn't like this was a massive drop issue for Kenneth Walker. I think where we kind of won, if you were betting on him and his uh, profile looking better in the receiving game is the Seahawks were like top five in neutral pass rate. And I think that most people were projecting them to be what bottom five. We had all the Pete Carroll narratives. Well, they got completely squashed. It was like the anti let Russ cook. It's the let Gino cook. And all of a sudden, we have a more pass attempts than we were expecting from here. Um, we'll see what who they bring in as to be his complement, but he's basically going to absorb all of the ground game. 
And I do think that 40, 50 targets is within his range of outcomes. Uh, underdog is half PPR. So I don't care about the receiving stuff all that much uh, when it comes to the running backs. Obviously it is very nice to have it, but it is not an end all be all. And for prospect profiles, just looking at some of the correlation that I've seen, the like career um, receiving yards per game is like very, very minuscule when it comes to projection from college to the NFL fantasy points. And if you just look at like total yards or uh, even half PPR points per game from their college, those metrics are so much more predictive than just the receiving stuff. So I was looking back at Kenneth Walker's profile and he was crushing when it comes to scoring touchdowns and rushing for a bunch of yards. And when you look at like the PFF metrics or watch the tape, he's breaking so many tackles. So this wasn't just about the scheme he was creating for themselves. So I think there is a buying opportunity uh, when some of these running backs are like 1500 yard running backs. They only caught 15 passes. I think we need to be buying those types, especially in like a Michigan state type of offense. Some of these big 10 running backs don't catch many passes. We've seen it with like Melvin Gordon and some other backs in those types of conferences where all of a sudden they're just getting the ball because that's what the offense is, is built for. And Kenneth Walker, by the way, is averaging like six and a half yards per carry. You don't really need to throw the ball if your running back is doing that. Yeah. And I think we hear it. So Sunday say it often that sometimes we try hard not to, downgrade somebody who maybe just hasn't been asked to do it. And I think you made a great point there that Michigan state just doesn't, didn't ask him to, to really do it. So like, you know, I think he showed a little bit this year that he was functional and, and that's good enough, right? You know, no one's going to confuse him with Christian McCaffrey, you know, or even Chris Hall or oh, yeah. somebody like that, but functional goes a long way. You know, he's more involved and he will be more involved than a guy like Nick Chubb has been. So I, I think that's important for, for his value in terms of redraft dynasty and moving forward. Let's the last two running back questions will group like this. Let's the guys who I think are going to profile more as, Part of a committee, most likely more between the tackles in terms of early down runners. You know, we Damian Pierce carried a heavy, heavy workload at times this year. I'm not sure if that's going to be sustainable. I'm sure they're looking for a lot of upgrades. So we'll group Damian Pierce in here. Brian Robinson, who slowly took over that backfield in terms of the majority of rushes with, you know, Antonio Gibson finding a role, you know, as the season went on. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco obviously saw a lot of work for Kansas City down the stretch. And then Tyler Algier, who I think is going to be a guy that unless the Falcons make an early investment in the draft, I don't think they go the, the free agency route. I could see a lot of people maybe steaming him up a little bit. Maybe talk us through some of those guys, things that who might have impressed you. Maybe even you were talking about going back to your profiles on these guys. Was there was there one from that group before that clearly stood out compared to the other ones? And and maybe just as you head into the offseason, is there one or two from this group that you would want to be actively maybe trying to acquire or maybe an opportunity to sell if maybe you think this is the mo- most use a guy like Damian Pierce will ever get? How, how are you kind of making sense of these guys? So as prospects, this entire kind of group was in like the 60th percentile range looking at drafted running backs over like the last decade or two. Um, So this was definitely in the kind of boom bust, definitely committee style backs, and they didn't have the draft capital. So someone like James Cook was drafted a little bit earlier than we were expecting, but he's smaller. And I think it's going to be harder for him, especially in that offense that is so pass heavy. And with Josh Allen at the goal line, it's going to be hard for him to kind of ever profile as like some stud fantasy running back, in my opinion. And then those other guys like Tyler Algier looked to me pretty damn good. 
The problem is, is he was a, a fifth round pick. So there's always this kind of like Michael Carter going back to last year where I thought Michael Carter had a good rookie season. All of a sudden, guess what? You weren't drafted high enough. In comes Brees Hall. Now the difference is, and I think the why I'm most bullish on Tyler Algier is I have a lot of faith in Arthur Smith calling a hell of a ground game. And Tyler Algier was very good in it. Um, and they have a bunch of other problems on defense uh, in particular. And obviously they're going to upgrade the quarterback spot where I think I'm probably most bullish on Tyler Algier. And I, I think he's a fine player. I don't think that he's exceptional, but his, his uh, averages were very good. And it, even some like the yards uh, after contact and elusiveness rating was probably better than what I thought it was going to be. But I think, for the Falcons this next year, we're going to see a massive quarterback upgrade. Even if it's like Ryan Tannehill type, I think it's a big upgrade. And I really just have a lot of faith in Arthur Smith calling it. So of that grouping, I think I have Algier ranked the highest. Uh, and then like Damian Pierce and Brian Robinson, I think they're fine. I just don't trust those, the scheme, the organization, their quarterback upgrades as much as I will with uh, Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I love that you mentioned Arthur Smith's running game because I mean, you're one of the only ones who I hear really talking about, and it's something I think about every time I, you know, listen to, you know, anybody analyze anything coming out of Atlanta or coming out of the rookies. Um, maybe just one other name to to throw in there. So it sounds like Algiers kind of been your preference of that group, but one name we didn't mention here was Rashad White, and I do think we've got a pretty decent chance at some changing of the guard in Tampa Bay. Do you think White? I, I believe it was a third round uh, draft capital too. So we're talking day two draft capital, not day three. That's generally okay for, for rookie running backs. And he seemed to show down, down the stretch. Now we might not have Tom Brady checking down all the time, but we might also not have Leonard Fournette. What do you, did, did, did Rashad White do anything to give you any confidence next year? Are you just staying away from that situation entirely? What are your thoughts on him? So I liked Rashad White as a prospect, like not like loved him, but I thought that he was in the mix to be the running back three. And he might actually have been my running back three before the draft got settled. Uh, I didn't really like his tape, though, to be honest, as a rookie. I thought he ran a little, little with a little bit more hesitation than I thought. I it didn't ever seem really finishing drives or runs. I think he can play in all phases, but I do wonder, like, what is his actually true skill set if you're looking at pff they have yards after contact uh there's 69 qualifiers he was uh 64th in yards after contact per carry uh, among running backs this year and his elusiveness rating was also bottom 10 so i'm not sure what the kind of bull case for him is based off of this tape i think he's going to be a committee member and i think he can play in a mini bell cow type of role because he can play in the pass game and they use him in all situations but even if they do release Leonard Fournette, like I expect based off of the salary cap, who's who's coming in at quarterback? Who's going to be play, calling plays? This uh, this team, their salary cap situation for the next couple of years is going to be really bad because they went all in for the last two years and they kept extending and restructuring contracts for these older players to try to win a Super Bowl. You have to pay the price eventually. And who's going to be signing up to play the quarterback for the Buccaneers? They're not going to have any money to spend. So, Maybe you can read into that and say he's not going to have that much competition because they just can't pay for any other running backs. But at the same time, eventually you have to show it on tape. And to me, Rashad White kind of was the underperformer based off of what I thought he was coming into the league versus what he put on tape last year. Yeah, I think Rashad White's an interesting one. And 
it'd be interesting to kind of see how the, the, you know, the dust settles there in Tampa Bay. You mentioned them briefly before. I just want to circle back real quick to James Cook. If the Bills, I think the Bills are going to upgrade at the wide receiver position. I think running back might be a little bit of a luxury that they rather fortify the line and they got some upgrades on defense. And I think prioritizing another, you know, better wide receiver, you know, maybe to push Gabriel Davis down to be their third. Do you see we sort of integrate James Cook a little bit more down the stretch of this year. Would you anticipate that continuing next year if they don't add another, you know, significant piece, let's say either, you know, in the first couple of days, the first two days of the draft or in free agency. And if so, do you think there's a path for him to have some fantasy viability or mostly PPR leagues only? I know you were talking half PPR, a little bit mm-hmm. different, uh, in terms of what you saw from Cook and, and what his profile was prior to him being drafted. So I thought his profile was kind of interesting and he's definitely got some bursts, but I didn't see like some massive difference maker. And he went a little bit earlier than I uh, expected, which is a good thing for him. I currently for this next season, have him as the running back 31, assuming Devin Singletary leaves and they bring in some other competition. I just don't think that he has enough size or like the same burst as like Dalvin cook, for example, uh, to kind of shoulder like I don't know, 200, 250 carries. So you're you're hoping for you like a JD McKissick type of season where you get 150 carries, they're very efficient, and then you can catch 50, 60 passes. Will Josh Allen throw the ball to his running back that often? I'm not sure. I'm with you guys that I think they are going to address both the running back and wide receiver position. I think he's going to be okay. I think that he's like a flex guy. It's bye week time throw him in there. If you're, if your dynasty rosters have a bunch of starting spots, he has value, but for like underdog, a half PPR best ball, I think he kind of be fake gold where it comes to just what is his true ceiling here? I'm not sure if he's going to be a bell cow back. And I'm not even sure if the Buffalo bills uh, even want that. Yeah. And even when Singletary has had some good spots, it's not consistent, right? We know Josh right. Allen is going to get a lot of, of the goal line looks. It was, it's not all that similar than when Cam Newton was at his best in Carolina, right? They had a good run game, but it didn't really consistently translate besides like that, you know, that one year, maybe with D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart way back when or whatever. But like in terms of like then what the Cam Newton era, yeah, he had McCaffrey that one year, but when, when it wasn't, you know, somebody an elite elite level player he just took a lot of those those touchdowns inside Mm -hmm. you know the red zone inside the 10 5 whatever and i think that's similar to what we see in buffalo for sure so let's transition this over to the pass catchers and we'll start with the wide receivers really interesting year we saw a lot of these rookies have some real peaks and then had some valleys a lot of quarterback issues with a couple of these guys for sure uh so, so why don't we start you know who, what is it? Chris Olave? Is it Wilson? Drake London? Who kind of, as this year kind of concluded and we headed to the offseason, is there one guy from the group or two guys that you're like, these are the two that if I was really going to pick, who could maybe turn into a star? Who could be a top 10, top 12 type guy? This would be the guy that I think maybe it could happen. If it's not next year, maybe in two years, is there one or two from this that you feel strongly about that could maybe reach that that peak of a level? So the three that you named, Alave, London, and Wilson, to me are like the stud members of this class. Uh, I wasn't really a big Traylon Burks guy. I don't think he really showed anything. Jahan Dotson, I think, has a role in the NFL, but I'm not sure if he's ever going to be the guy. Christian Watson looked 
electric. There's going to be some quarterback concerns if Aaron Rodgers gets traded. Who knows with him? Some of his metrics were a little bit uh, less sticky than I would like. Uh, But to me, Drake London and Garrett Wilson seem like the two that could have 150, 160, 170 target seasons. They just look like completely dominant uh, players when it comes to just drawing targets. Uh, Both of them can win underneath and the intermediate level. Um, I think that both of them can be alphas. Chris Olave is kind of interesting because he's kind of like, I don't know, maybe like Tyler Lockett. I haven't thought about like the exact comp, but like more, maybe he's going to be a 120 target guy, very efficient on them, very, very valuable, but he's going to be more of a wide receiver too and consistent. Uh, so I came into this thinking that Drake London was the number one receiver in the class. And I thought Garrett Wilson had the chance to be, if he could develop a little bit more, my comps for those two is I think that Garrett Wilson could kind of be like, Odell Beckham was kind of his like peak. Uh, and I thought that Drake London can turn into like Michael Thomas. So those are kind of the comps I had for the top three. Yeah. Super high praise. I love that you just put the Tyler Lockett name out there with Chris Olave. Cause I, I just ran a poll like this last week and, you know, pulled the Twitterverse of what they would think if, if that was Chris Olave's career. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, a lot of people might, feel slightly disappointed if that's the real like if that's your reality and that's what you get but people don't realize that Tyler Lockett's coming off of five straight top 15 finishes it's just that he's not going to be I I just without the yak without that absolute I think he's a dominant route runner and maybe at the peak you get something like Calvin Ridley pulled out but uh, you know you're not I don't know that there's a an avenue for him to enter a Jamar Chase style, um, you know, elite, elite. You know, I don't, I don't think uh, unless he develops things that we just quite haven't quite seen yet, even in his collegiate profile, you know, to maybe get to like an Antonio Brown style mm-hmm. dominant season. And he'd have to be a focal point and he'd need the quarterback. But he's one of my absolute favorites. I mean, I, I would, I think he's about as safe as they come, where I think maybe the other guys carry a little bit of risk. You you touched a little bit on a few of these other names that I absolutely love, like Christian Watson, I think is the ultimate wild card. I, I mean, Jahan Dawson was a guy that we absolutely loved in the same, we put him in the same tier as all of these other five players. You know, is it, if you were to go, who's the next guy up? It, you know, is it Dawson? Is it Watson? You, you mentioned Pickens. you weren't a yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned you weren't a fan of, of Burks. Is it Pickens? Mm-hmm. Or is there really somebody kind of under the radar that, you know, you really, maybe maybe they're not even wide receiver four for you, but you see them as such a value and, and being slept on that that's the type of target that you'd really be looking for. So I think Jahan Dotson is pretty interesting, but I think that he kind of runs in some of the similar uh, problems that Olave has, I think just at a lower level. Um, but like Curtis Samuel is a potential cut or trade candidate. So that could kind of, uh, quicken up the pace here. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be for the commanders, but I can tell you with almost certainty that it will be a quarterback upgrade this year. I I'm not a big fan of, of Heineke. Obviously nobody likes Carson Wentz. Uh, so even if it's like Jacoby Brissett, which I think is about the floor here, I think that, and if Curtis Samuel gets moved on from, I think all of a sudden Jahan Dotson could be maybe more of like a weekly wide receiver three. I think that's kind of what we're hoping for with him. Um, George Pickens and Christian Watson, I would probably rank higher just because I'm looking for somebody to be a top 20 wide receiver. And I think maybe that they're like boom bust 
profiles could like maybe leave them with a little bit lower floor, but ultimately we've got to be chasing ceilings at some point. And I think that Christian Watson showed it with athleticism. Uh, and we just look at, if you just kind of extrapolate those numbers from the back half of the year, you're looking at somebody that could be a top 20 wide receiver as soon as this next year. Uh, and then George Pickens to me, very inconsistent player. I didn't love that the Steelers are sticking with their OC. I thought they kept asking Pickens to do the same exact thing. And maybe that's a chicken or the egg situation. Maybe is that, is that Matt Canada's problem or is it a George Pickens problem? Because a lot of the same routes that he's running this last year were the same type of routes that he was winning with at Georgia. I just think that there's some chance that he can kind of develop more than that and be a number one wide receiver and Deontay Johnson, I think best profiles as kind of like a number two target win underneath. I think there is a true alpha eventually it could be with George Pickens. I think that we've given Kenny Pickett a lot of crap. I think that if you were just kind of polling, how good is Kenny Pickett? I think that the actual reality is he's a little bit better than what people are thinking. So maybe you can buy the dip on that as well. Yeah, a couple follow-ups. I, I do want to just circle back to the big three for one second. Do you think it's as simplistic, if you like them all, that in terms of dynasty, you would gravitate them or rank them based on maybe quarterback upgrades this offseason? Is it close enough that you would say, you know, based on maybe who, if any, I, I would mm-hmm. think all those teams are potentially in the market for changing of the quarterbacks. Do you, do you have them close enough, you think, that, you could make your decision based on how the quarterbacks kind of play itself out in new Orleans, New yeah. York and Atlanta. So I think that new Orleans is going to have the toughest uh, time finding a franchise guy because of lack of draft picks. And then also their cap situation is really bad. Once the Falcons uh, cut Mariota, I think they're gonna have like $83 million in cap space. And I think that Arthur Smith has a couple years to build this thing out. So if it's like Ryan Tannehill or Derek Carr for the next three, four years, I think that's plenty enough for, for Drake London. I also think that the Falcons can't draft another skill guy with a elite draft capital. They have to just say Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Those are our two guys. We got to address the edge rushers and corners group and all maybe find a, a rookie running back. So I don't think there's going to be a rookie quarterback. I don't think there's going to be more competition for Drake London. I think the only upside is for better quarterback play. And then with Garrett Wilson, similar situation, they have like $50 million to spend after they release like Corey Davis and those types. I think that they're, they're a pretty attractive destination for Rogers for two more years. Even if it's Derek Carr, I think that's going to be okay with him. Um, so I would rank them for quarterbacks moving forward, like London and Wilson, pretty much the same that I would put a tier below. I think it's going to be harder for the saints to find um, a franchise guy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And why don't we round out the wide receiver conversation with a couple final names. One was, what are you? What are we all to make? And what's your take on on Sky Moore? I know the hype mm-hmm. for him was very high before the season started. Here at Saturday Sunday, we liked him as a player. We thought the the how high people were pushing him for all levels of fantasy got a little bit a little bit wild. And it wasn't like Kansas City was loaded receivers this year, and they really didn't show a lot of you know, want to, to, to get him heavily involved. They made the trade for Darius Tony, which I'm a big fan of that, even though they still, he, for whatever reason, can't get himself on the field for a lot of percentage of the plays. You know, I think they might, we'll see if they bring back Juju. They were playing Nicole Hardman clearly over Sky Moore, and he was actually having some really uh, strong performances prior to his injury. You know, as we head into this off season, is he a guy that like, do you think still could be in Kansas City's plans to be relevant? Or do they look at him and, and kind of say, maybe 
we missed on this one and, and they're not really looking at him as to be an integral part of that. And then maybe some thoughts on Wanda Robinson. I know not really mm-hmm. ideal for half PPR, but I mean, he, he was coming away. He was coming around a little bit. His best game was the game he tore his ACL in. We saw games that Richie James was really good in the Brian Dable offense. I, I think Wanda would have done a lot more with that. So maybe some thoughts on Sky Moore and Wanda Robinson and the wide receiver discussion. So both of them kind of fall into something I always look for are, are these wide receivers playing in two wide receiver sets? Are they playing in one wide receiver sets? Because if you're a slot only player, that means that you're going to be competing with at least two other wide receivers, plus a tight end, plus a running back. And it's really hard to win in the slot only your a dots low and you're competing with actual wide receivers. And I think both of these guys could kind of fall into this situation where Wanda Robinson, I think definitely a true slot sky Moore, I think most likely he's going to be a slot wide receiver. Uh, just looking at it, he played 50% of his snaps uh, in the slot this year. And then so you if you extrapolate the Sky Moore stuff, uh, I think Juju's going to be gone. He hasn't done anything really in Kansas City. Uh, I think MBS is a cut candidate. Uh, McCole Hardman's out of the way. But the Kadarius Tony profile and the Sky Moore profile are somewhat similar. Now, I think the upside case for Kadarius is that he can win on the outside. I'm not sure if Sky Moore has enough juice. I was kind of su- surprised watching him uh, as a rookie, they would try to get him schemed up this entire year, and none of them really broke free all that much. So uh, I'm a little bit nervous for Sky Moore. I didn't see any type of plays that really made me too intrigued. I would rank Kadarius Tony ahead of Sky Moore. I don't know where the dynasty community is on that, but I, I would rather take an upside chance on Sky Moore or on Kadarius over Sky Moore. Yeah, I feel um, I would fall in the same boat personally, but you know, we've seen more from Kadarius Tony, even in limited, um, limited games, limited reps, but a lot more risk still. It's, it's one of those ones where, you know, like you said, we've seen him on the outside and, and we've seen what we could do in a single game. So, you know, I think that gives us a pretty good wrap on, on the wide receivers and, and this hasn't been some legendary tight end class, but you know, we can, we can have legendary tight end prospects that we we wait on for three or four years now, right? And you know, still waiting on Yukio Pitts. But we we did have a few players make some names for themselves, games here or there, right? So we had, you know, we had Dulcich come on a little bit mid season. We had McBride show up. Um, we you know we had Daniel Bellinger kind of come in for the for the Giants, get hurt, come back a little bit. How do you view the tight end position for these rookies as a whole? Do any of them profile as, you know, it's really hard. You know, anybody can be a tight end one, right? You get a touchdown, you're a tight end one. Good job, right? But, you know, are any of these guys somebody you feel, A, you know, might be able to slot into that tier behind the upper echelon starters, you know, those, you know, okay, so there's Kelsey, there's, Andrews, you know, and then you got kind of the Kittle, Goddard, Hawkinson, right? So maybe like we'll we'll just say anybody that you feel could just break into that second, third tier that you just feel comfortable saying, "Hey, I've I've kind of plugged the leak. I'm good to go. This can be an every week starter." Yeah. Or, you know, do they fit more in this realm of, "Hey, this is this is a guy that I know as a backup I feel reliable to be able to plug in. He's not my every week starter. He's not plugging a hole, but you know, he's a good person on the bench with a little bit of upside. 
I thought this class was not good, and I still believe that. Uh, the Trey McBride, his numbers, like if you were just like putting these prospects in a spreadsheet, he was popping a little bit, and the draft capital was pretty solid. I put on his tape as a uh, prospect, and I was not very sold on him. I don't think that he's like a true game breaker when it comes to athleticism. And he had opportunities late uh, after Zach Ertz tore his ACL, and he didn't really do a whole lot. And this next year, we're going to be dealing with, I don't know, like Marcus Mariota plugging in for uh, uh, Kyler Murray, and then you have Kyler Murray with ACL. And this kind of organization is kind of in a, in a problem spot. I'm not sure if Trey McBride's going to be good enough uh, to co- kind of overcome that. Some of the other names like Bellinger, like literally a full-time player when he was healthy and he was never on the fantasy radar. Isaiah likely has a chance, but that would require Mark Andrews to leave. I think Greg Dulcich probably has like the best chance. Um, and I thought he was a, a fine prospect. He's got some athleticism. He's definitely somebody that they can put into the slot. And a lot of their, like if it's a two tight end uh, set, he's going to be the guy off the line of scrimmage. So I have some intrigue there, but all of a sudden you're tying yourself to Russell Wilson for these next couple of years. And the GM could get fired this next year. And all of a sudden you're resetting with everything. Um, the two players are like definitely sleepers that I kind of have some uh, optimism for is obviously Chiga Quanco. Uh, Austin Hooper is a free agent uh, or a cut candidate. I forget one of the two uh, there. There is no wide receivers. Robert Woods is a cut candidate. They're going to be resetting at quarterback. So this could be a really bad situation for him. But he's got some juice, and he was kind of a boom-bust uh, prospect. I think that he has some upside. And I think my deepest sleeper here would be Jake Ferguson for the Cowboys. He was somebody that, like, back in, like, 2018 when I was doing uh, college blurbs for Roto World, he was somebody I was always writing up because he was flashing as, like, a full-time player for Wisconsin. And he kind of progressed, maybe not the same uh, trajectory as we would like. But he was getting playing time for the Cowboys, and Dalton Schultz is a free agent, and I think he's out of there. Um, and all of a sudden, you can be the starting tight end for Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott and the Cowboys have had tight end ones for multiple seasons now. Um, and I don't think that Dalton Schultz was ever like some electric player. So I think Jake Ferguson would be like deep sleeper. But I think ultimately all these players in like best ball in all these rankings will be like tight end 14 to tight end 28 and maybe one or two of them have a couple back-end seasons here. I think we're, like, hoping for, like, a Dalton Schultz or, like, a Johnny Smith type of run. I don't see any T.G. Hawkinsons, no no, even, like, Noah Fans, none of those types. I think we're dealing with, like, Tier 3, Tier 4. Yeah, I mean, it's best to set expectations at, at a realistic level, right? You know, we can get excited all the time, but, you know, not everything is going to come up you know, aces every single flop. So, I mean, I love that. It, I love that the, the two names that you put in are actually on just complete opposite ends of the spectrum when we were talking about them coming in last year, right? Chig is, uh, Chig Okonkwo is a pretty fantastic athlete and, and very dynamic. I don't know that it'll ever profile as the primary option, the every down, you know, 100% tight end, right? But that you know, we've seen a few of these players be able to pop with their athleticism that even if they are 70, 80% players, they may be able to find their way, right? Again, we're not talking about someone who's going to be tight end seven, eight, nine, but, but somebody that, you know, like you said, Johnny Smith was a great name. You know, can you come in? Can they have some upside? Can you get them in the right matchups? And, and I do really think that, man, I'm a Niners fan. I watched that game. 
Dalton Schultz did not do himself any favors no. when it came to getting paid this mm. offseason. Yes. And and you're right. And if if it is just an opportunity here, Ferguson is a complete he, he's a complete dart throw right there. But you know, I, I think they have Hendershot too. Um, you know, another another guy that they've drafted recently that, you know, it kind of reminds me of the you know, Dalton Schultz and um, Blake Jarwin, right? Like that was the oh, other yeah. one. It's, it's, it, you you kind of have to guess the right one, but tight ends are so system dependent. And if you're giving me a shot at a guy who's going to get tight end six numbers and you can get them for a fourth round pick, literally nothing, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll take that out. I'll take that shot. If it hits, it's great. If it's not, I wasted nothing. Were you guys on Jake? Just am I misremembering this? Like Jake Ferguson at one point was like somebody that was we were like definitely considering as maybe somebody that could have been a maybe second round pick. Or, or am I crazy? No, you're you're remembering that. And and the thing is, he was on the Debbie radar real young because people thought he might have came out after his redshirt sophomore year. Yeah. And there was talk that he would have been a day two guy. And then he kind of stayed in college for a while. Right? Each year we kind of expected him to be, you know, declare and he didn't and he went back and he went back and he went back. And then he kind of was a little bit of a forgotten man, you know, and then he, he, you started hearing a little bit of buzz before the draft, a, an interesting day three type guy. And, you know, I think Dalton Schultz is a, is a nice player, but I think some team is going to overpay him who just has a mm-hmm. lot of cap space and doesn't have a tight end and, you know, whatever, whether it's the Texans, or, you know, pick a team that has a lot of, a lot of cap space. And, you know, he's going to, I think he's going to get a decent sized contract. And I think Dallas probably knows who, what he is and, and what he brings to the table and, and probably money that. either. Yeah. Even yeah. if they like yeah. him. Yeah, and, and if they're gonna if they're gonna find a way to finagle, and sometimes you know teams do it, if they're gonna find a way to finagle, I think they're gonna bring in you know help a wide receiver and not give Dalton Schultz whatever ten million dollars a year, eleven million dollars a year, whatever the case may be. I think they could probably look at Ferguson, Hendershot, draft another guy. You know, we're talking about this draft class, and I know we're not going there tonight, but you know, if you listen to all the major draft people, you know, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the Dame Bruglers, you know, all of them a lot of them think five tight ends are going in the yeah. top 50 picks five. Like that is, that's a staggering number. So like that would be five before we had the first one last year. Cause if I remember correctly, <laughs> I think McBride was like maybe in like the 55 range or 57 mm-hmm. range, unless I'm, unless mm-hmm. he was earlier than that. But so we might have five before we even had one last year. So it's going to be yeah. interesting. You I mean, know, I we, think, I think the thing with Ferguson, right. And, and, and just as you remember a bit, like, yes, he really popped early, right? Just as far as like that go-to target. But I think we, you know, it's the athletic testing that, you know, that wasn't really there for the upside. And, you know, we saw that, I think, with a guy like Jalen Weidermeyer, right? You know, again, just one of those Debbie darlings, that production was off the charts. And then when you run that athletic testing and you run like, I don't know, what was it, a five flat 40, something, something that just, absolutely tanked his draft stock i i do think you know ferguson is is that good underneath threat and um you know again we we just kind of go it's the easy comp the jason witten style guy and and the reason that that's a great comp is because it's the role that dallas has been using their tight ends in forever and that's why we chase the dallas tight ends my biggest question and and again it, it could be fine it could not be fine but it, you know is that's a great you know mccarthy tight end 
right? But if if they decide to really shake things up, if they bring in a Sean Payton or some other style who's looking for, you know, the Jimmy Graham style athlete mm-hmm. to, to actually make a difference at that position, I don't know if Ferguson will fit the mold as well. Yeah. He might be coming in and blocking more. And we might not see him be that outlet type receiver that we've seen from guys like Schultz. So that'd be yeah. the only risk there. But again, like I said, you're not, you know, we're, we're digging deep here, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. you're throwing a fourth round pick for a guy that, you know, somebody be like, ah, sure. I'll trade you, you know, I'll take your fourth. I'll draft another tight end here. And I think that out, you know, with, with Ferguson and Dallas, I think you have outs there that will pay off. And, and I think it's worth the risk. Yeah. The upside, obviously we want the athleticism for, for fantasy tight ends. And that's like definitely part of like predicting top five tight ends. But a second part of this is just, we're, we're talking about scoring touchdowns and like if if you have Dak Prescott for the next three years, which basically their contract situation is, if you're on the field at all, like you're you're scoring four or five touchdowns every single season. So I think that's kind of where his upside case is. Um, and just my kind of general rule for for tight ends is, in order to be a top five, top six fantasy tight end on a season, you got to be playing in one wide receiver or one tight end sets. And then if you go to two tight end sets, you better be the one that's not staying in to block and that's where you get like these travis kelsey seasons even better if you're going to be in three by one sets if you're going to be the uh lone receiver on the isolated side that's where you can find these things and then someone for like chigakwanku are you going to be in the one tight end set or otherwise you're going to be kind of stuck in this like he's running some routes but not he's not in like all the red zone looks and stuff so i think mean, that's something i need to figure out with with chig in particular is is he good enough in line to block and not just for anybody to be good enough to block for coach Rabel, who's probably cares about the stuff more than just about anybody. Yeah. And that, I think that's the one negative about Trig. I, I just don't think he's going to be much of a blocker. So you're going to have yeah. to, for him to be fantasy consistent, they'd have to get really creative and use him in a variety of ways to, to manufacture touches. And listen, if they manufactured a, a tight end enough touches, we'll take it right. Because tight ends are very, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, Evan flow each week and he can make a big play, but if, but it would be very, unless they make a point to find a way to get him X amount of touches on most weeks, I think it'd be hard. Uh, because as you said, I, I don't see a scenario, right. Where he's going to be the guy who's, who's asked to be in there on all the time. Right. Especially with their run game and their power run offense that, the, that they focus on. So I think it's going to be hard for him uh, to, to get to that level, but interesting player. Uh, we liked him before the draft just due to the athleticism and the intrigue. So he's someone definitely following closely and Ferguson two two sleeper guys there that, that we're high on here as well. Let's round out the night and close it off uh, with a little bit of quarterback talk. You kind of alluded to Kenny Pickett a little bit before that, uh, you know, maybe he's a little bit better than we, than we even thought. So why don't we talk about a little bit more? I'll let you go a little deeper in, into what you thought about Kenny Pickett's year maybe where you could envision best case scenario for him if it hits in terms of fantasy. And then Mm -hmm. let's bring in like kind of like the wild card here. If the 49ers go to the Super Bowl and or win the Super Bowl, how are we looking at Brock Purdy heading into this offseason? Because nobody's got a better cast of offensive playmakers around him than the 49ers do. And he's he's shown the ability to run that offense you know, how do, how do we appropriately value him? Does it change based on how far each week he goes? Like, how, how are we kind of 
you know, thinking about the Brock Purdy situation, where we stand right now prior to the NFC title game. Yeah, the, the, it's so tra- so crazy because if he throws three interceptions and they score eight points, then like all of a sudden we could throw out all this stuff. Um, just curious, where is uh, Trey Lance versus Brock Purdy in dynasty rankings? Just like the difference between those two. I'm sure Lance is ahead, but that's probably that gap's probably closing. Uh, my Brock Purdy evaluation is he's been going, he's on a great run right now. Um, there are some interceptions that sh- should have been caught by the other team that have not been. I think that's clouding some of the judgment. But the scheme, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't all that great, and he's been a quarterback, too, at times. So I think Brock Purdy's interesting just because the offense and, and this skill group is signed long-term. Like, Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, CMC, I don't think any of them are leaving. Same thing with Trent Williams. So uh, whoever wins that 49ers job is going to be fantasy-relevant. Obviously, Trey Lance brings 1,000 more rushing yards than Brock Purdy would. So I would still be swinging for the fences on him. Uh, but yeah, Brock Purdy, I'm, I'm nervous that there's just all of a sudden going to be a two interception game. And then some of the buzz is going to fall out, but he's, he's a playmaker back there more than Jimmy G ever was. Um, I don't think he's going to be as consistent over the long term, but, uh, maybe him scrambling around just letting Brandon Ayuk finally get open downfield is not the worst case scenario for him. Jeff, any thoughts, you know, as the resident oh, 49ers fan here, I mean, Oh, I don't want to take us all off off track here. Just talking about <laughs> Brock Purdy, and um, oh, we that that's a that's a good conversation for another time. I, I I did try to look up here, Hayden. You you kind of thought like where is Purdy relative to Lance in the QB rankings? Okay, I you know one one source here, Lance was still kind of a QB thirteen. I think people mm-hmm. are looking that upside rushing, right? I, I looked Jimmy. Jimmy Garoppolo showed up next at, at QB 26. And I don't know, even know if the markets have caught up or maybe there's the markets just still don't believe in it. Purdy was off the charts. He just didn't even show up, right. um, which, you know, which is crazy because, you know, even a, at the worst, he's going to be the second quarterback on that team and backup quarterbacks are worth something. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, worth more than I think even a Jimmy Brissett or a Jacoby Brissett kind of thing. Um, You know, I, it's a, it's an easy summation for me, right? Uh, Birdie's played himself uh, into an opportunity for a shot. And I, you know, they are still committed to Lance. They drafted Lance because they saw the upside there. It, you made me bet. I'd still bet that Trey Lance starts more games next year than, than Brock Purdy does, you know, and I'd even bet that he was the week one starter. You know, I think it, I think both are more likely, but that's not to say it's a non-zero chance and mm. they like what they've got. This is all to me. It just says Jimmy G's gone. Right. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really hope we don't see a three pick game. Not one because I'm a Niners fan too. I just, I love <laughs> the story that Brock Purdy's like putting together here. Um, I mean, if you see him in the Super Bowl, which, you know, it's, it's a non-zero chance. Like it's, it's not that team around him is so good. I I still think this is kind of closer to the Nick Foles kind of story that you get, but, but you're, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, the difference is, is Nick Foles was older. So like, there's some mm-hmm. like theoretical, theoretical, like mystery box kind of with, with Brock Purdy. Um, and Nick Foles didn't have these weapons under contract yeah. weapons. Dude, this is like well, all expiring contracts, and that's kind of where the upside case is. So, like to me, this like 
what is your what is your dynasty league? Is it a super flex league where like mm-hmm. uh maybe like the ceiling doesn't matter as much because you, you just need starting quarterbacks at that point, or is it a twelve person uh, league regular mm-hmm. standard quarterback where ceiling is basically all that matters? Like Mac Jones mm-hmm. as the quarterback twenty, even though we we're going to expect a couple more seasons of him at that level, doesn't really get you into into the starting quarterback mix where you need to be shooting for kind of ceiling. So I think kind of really depends on if it's super flex versus uh, one quarterback. And to me, that, that the difference is like stability matters in super flex. And upside's basically the only thing that matters um, in standard. Really good summation, I think, of of really where you're going to want to push your chips in on in either kind of those situations because it is risky to push your chips in on Trey Lance at QB twelve QB one prices. Um, and then again, just you know, but if you're in a one QB league, you don't have to pay at quite as much. That upside's there. I think my 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 one final thought when it comes to the San Francisco quarterback situation because I know you're you're all going to be looking at me as the resident 49er fan, you know, to weigh in here. Um, You know, we've seen players play well, like Nick Mullins, right. And we've seen players play well, like, uh, oh gosh, I'm even, even I'm blinking on, um, you know, the other guy they drafted the, the non Nick Mullins guy that that we third. Yeah. Bethard, CJ Bethard. He was like a third round pick too. Right. So um, look, I think Purdy has eclipsed what those players have done, right? It, it, very clearly. But I use them, I bring them forward as an example to say that, you know, the, there is still growth that needs to happen to come forward if Purdy is going to be a starting caliber quarterback. Now, we've seen him play really well. We've seen him play well for seven games here, you know, and I have been really impressed with, you know, you mentioned it really well, Hayden, just how he's created. He has done more than Jimmy Garoppolo has for this offense. Um, I mean, people threw the Mahomes purdy comp right with that one <laughs> sideline pass that Ayuk dropped. Um, and it was phenomenal. Like, like that is not a play that Jimmy Garoppolo makes. So it's seven games, and you know, we've we've seen this up and down carousel every single time with every single incoming class i mean we had conversations about is kyler murray the qb1 in dynasty after his hot start you know a year or two ago and you know development isn't linear we say that all the time here right you know teams are gonna have to catch up purdy's gonna have to adapt um if he's even coming the shot san francisco will give him the shot to continue to grow it's going to be a competition um, he's going to have to earn his pay all the way through the playoffs. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, can you continue to grow, right? Can you continue to grow as a player? We, that's the one thing that we are not good at doing. We can really talk about what this player's strengths is, what his weaknesses, where he's good, what would help him, what his surrounding cast, offensive scheme, and what we can't do and I don't think anybody can do for you right now is say what this player's going to do on the second, third, fourth step of his growth, right? That, mm-hmm. That's why we missed on Tom Brady, right? That's why Tom Brady is the goat. Not, I mean, he wasn't some fun. He wasn't the goat in his, in his first year, second year, third year, right? It's just that he always got better every single year. And that's just, it's an anomaly. You, we can't say that Purdy's going to do that, right? We can't say that anybody's going to do that. We can't say Josh Allen's going to do that. I mean, heck, Burrow's been doing that. 
Herbert was doing that. And then Herbert took a step back, right? So that's what makes this really hard, right? You have to play the odds. I love the way that you approach this when you're talking about, you know, what you're thinking about for next year, what you project for next year. You know, we've talked about it with all of these different positions. And now we're trying to talk about three years down the road. Right. And so that's that's my whole thing on the San Francisco quarterback. It's going to be noisy this offseason. We're just going to enjoy as a San Francisco fan. I'm going to enjoy a playoff run. I'm not expecting anything from this point on. Right. (laughs) Philadelphia is an amazing team. Let's see what Brock puts together. They have a shot. They're a good team. And and everything's gravy from here on out. I will say. The narrative changes about the offseason if Brock Purdy beats this loaded Eagles team and then beats Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't know if it starts as an open competition next year. That, that I, 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 we'll leave it there. If he if he loses this week or in the Super Bowl, maybe because then it's a, then then Shanahan could look at it as the same way Garoppolo could get me there, but he couldn't win, which is what led them to why they went all in on Trey Lance. But if he gets over and wins it, I think the narrative changes a little bit. Hayden, last thing, I, we mentioned it before. I just wanted to kind of pick, uh, hear your response. Uh, Kenny Pickett, do mm-hmm. you see a scenario? Could, could, he, could he put together you know, some fantasy viability in a Kirk Cousins way in that couple good peak years that Andy Dalton was fantasy viable? Or do we think kind of like what we've seen from Mac Jones? Is it, where do you kind of think maybe Kenny Pickett and his trajectory could go here? You know, obviously a lot of growth still to be had, like Jeff was talking about. But maybe where would you kind of where do you kind of envision Kenny Pickett in a year or two? So just as a prospect, uh, as a reminder, 94th percentile EPA in that final season. I know he was older, but I mean, like some of the analytic numbers were pretty strong for Kenny Pickett. Um, So last year, the numbers were not nearly there. So it's kind of what matters more that one kind of outlier year as a prospect, or was it last year's it's kind of somewhere in between. I don't see him being the Kirk cousins in the pocket guy. My kind of comp was kind of hoping that he would be like Ryan Tannehill who can throw the ball on the move could probably get you 400 rushing yards. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me where Kenny Pickett was, but I think he struggles in the pocket and actually good outside the pocket. And I think that he's pretty accurate. So we're dealing with mobility and accuracy are my two strengths for Kenny Pickett. The rest of it is below average. And there is a, a cap ceiling just because I thought his arm strength is fine. It's not great. It's I think starter level, but not enough to get, to your like Justin Herbert's any of that stuff. So I think there's a path for him to be fantasy's quarterback 13, 14, somewhere in mm-hmm. there, but it's going to take some offensive linemen, maybe an entirely new scheme. And we're not getting that this next year. Mm-hmm. And if the scheme is bad and the offensive line is bad and he just kind of copy paste this next season, he's probably not going to be the quarterback in 2024. So it's a very hard place to be. I'm guessing the dynasty community hates Kenny Pickett. It seems like everybody trashes on him. So maybe there's a buying opportunity just based off a price. Um, But I think a lot of things have to go right for him to be Ryan Tannehill, though. I do think that there is a path for him doing so. Uh, Just hoping that they get the offensive line squared away. When you say Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Just follow up. Um, I mean, when I think Ryan Tannehill, I think, you know, okay. Uh, play action efficiency right and so uh, you know i don't have those splits but it sounds like you've kind of looked into this Mm -hmm. you know do you know you know is 
you know, I know you're worried about Canada. Is is Canada Matt Canada just not a rely on the play action much? Or this is the is, problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that stylistically, what Kenny P- Pickett does reminds me of Brian Tannehill. But Matt Canada, they were let's see, they were 29th in play action rate, Oof. and they were 25th in neutral neutral uh, pass rate. So this just comes back to chicken or the egg. Cause same thing with George Pickens. Is this offense the way it is because Matt Canada, or is it because he doesn't trust Kenny Pickett in these ways? And like traditional, like under center play action stuff that requires to turn your head and then be able to read the field post snap. I don't think that's where Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett's mm-hmm. strengths is. I think that's actually mm-hmm. where his weakness is. And I think that we kind of put him in a box where he's this uh, supposed to be this in pocket quarterback. I don't see him in that way at all. They always run these bootlegs. They get him like uh, with these non-traditional quarterback drops. And I, I fear that's because they also see the same thing where he struggles in the pocket. But at some point you have to overcome that. And this next year, I would like them to at least try. I would like to see him fail in the pocket off of play action stuff because nobody's just doing sprint outs to Deontay Johnson, four yards downfield and expecting to put up an explosive pass game. So um, it really is just a chicken to the egg situation with all these players. Najee Harris, I think it's the same way where we know he gets the volume. Is it because of the bad offensive line? Is it because they don't have a normal offense? What's going on with, with Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson. We think that he can possibly be on a thousand yard, 10 touchdown guy, but he's just been not hitting his ceiling. What, like who is, who is at fault here? And I fear it's actually Canada and he's back for this next year. So very tough situation. I think Kenny Pickett's got this next year and that's it. And I'm a little bit nervous for him. Yeah. And I I think we have really started to realize over the last X amount of years, whatever time frame we want to put that these young quarterbacks, what they're asked to do in the offense that they are working with, the coaching, the scheme, it is so significant. Like we just talked about Brock Purdy for a while, right? If he was in a lot of other places, would he be having the success right off the bat? Probably very close to no. Here in New York, you know, I've watched every snap of every play of Daniel Jones's entire career. And we went through pretty good with Shermer, then horrific with Jason Garrett. Not a surprise. We all kind of saw that coming, but Joe judge that, that, that conservativeness paired with Jason Garrett, basically, he, he became a shell and then we saw Brian Dable slowly get it back to at least be a quarterback that's intriguing right with the athleticism with the mobility they they really relied on the play action at times and then they finally started developing the other parts of the game as the season went on so Kenny Pickett needs that a lot of young quarterbacks need that right like you know, even in New England, they're bringing back Bill O'Brien and, and maybe he's not the best, but he's better than Matt Patricia and Joe Judge oh, yeah. as the offensive coordinator. So maybe Mac Jones next year, you know, gets an upgrade. Obviously, it's not Josh McDaniels, but it's better than what he had this year. And maybe the Patriots finally get him some weapons too, uh, and, and create the better, you know, structure around him for sure. So these young quarterbacks always fun to talk about them. Hayden, real, abs- I mean, oh, yeah. real quick, just now that you mentioned Daniel Jones. I think Kenny Pickett is like directionally on that path though. Daniel Jones, I think has better traits and like he always had those traits and he was more of a traits based prospect where Kenny Pickett, he had kind of the numbers and then we're kind of seeing where the traits are going to kind of fall up. But Daniel Jones athletic can throw. I think, I think he is accurate for the most part, but it was so much, so much of the in-pocket decision-making that that was troubling. Now I do think that Daniel Jones can run it for 80, an 80 yard touchdown. I think Kenny Pickett might not be able to do that. I think that DJ has a little bit stronger of an arm, but I think that's kind of what we're hoping for with, with 
Kenny Pickett, but like you said, Brian Dable was the one and Kafka were, were the one to unlock them. Is Matt Canada going to be that guy all of a sudden? I'm probably out. No, probably not. And they seem set on having him. Like it's, it's, it's kind of baffling that I can't believe that, it. Yeah. That they don't, you know, open themselves up. And like, I think, you know, I think so many teams should, should really, you know, it, it seems like so many teams want to keep things that they're comfortable with. These coaches want to keep, yeah. you know, people that they know, people that they've worked with when they really should be trying to bring people from organizations that are doing creative things. And, you know, I know here in New York, there was a whole big article like two weeks ago in the athletic on how Brian Dable went about creating his staff. And it wasn't just people he had worked with at his different locations. And he had targeted Kafka knowing that they couldn't block him if they offered him the offensive coordinator position because they had Eric Bianami there. And it, like things like that, like you need coaches. And Mike Tomlin's a great coach. I don't want this all fall on Mike Tomlin. But oh, yeah. I, I do think there's got to be some – looking deep and being like, what can we do to put him in the best position to succeed? We mm-hmm. see what some coordinators and coach and offensive mind head coaches are doing with certain young quarterbacks. Well, we have a young quarterback. We need to create that infrastructure. We don't have an O-line for him. We, you know, we don't have a great scheme for him. We're not really setting him up. And as you said, then the time starts ticking. And if he doesn't produce, do they look to turn the page? So it's a never-ending cycle with the with these young guys that we want them to produce at a faster rate, but sometimes they're not really set up, you know, to be successful. And then maybe they have to be like Ryan Tannehill, get go somewhere else, where then the mm-hmm. infrastructure is better situated for them. So great conversation all the way around tonight, Hayden. Please uh, let the audience know where to follow you. Let if you anything you got going on at, at Underdog as the, yep. the off season, you know, kind of starts kicking into high gear that you want to share. Uh, and then just thank you so much for coming on tonight. Absolutely great time. Yeah, this is a total blast uh, down to come on whenever. Uh, for Underdog in particular, uh, my pitch will be we have fantasy football drafts every single day. Like right now, you can draft for the next season in uh, a couple weeks from now. We will have a $1 million tournament uh, for 2023, and that will close before the NFL draft. And for the Dynasty community, it's probably the best uh, format that we have for you because you're going to be drafting players before they get drafted. So there's going to be some big risers, some big fallers. So if you think that you have um, some actual predictive power here, this would be the place to do it. And uh, it's a one year instead of Dynasty. So there's a little bit of wrinkles onto it. So uh, that'd be my pitch. You can use a uh, promo code, the show. That's my podcast. Um, if you aren't signed up on underdog, but I think the dynasty community would like uh, to try out some best ball drafts and uh, we'll have a huge tournament coming up. Guys, make sure you're following Hayden. Make sure you're following all the great work that they're doing over there at underdog fantasy. So on behalf of Hayden, on behalf of Jeff and their sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.